Put on your favorite sequin jacket and fabulous glasses because it's time for the cinema crew with Village Cinemas. I read it and I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there, I could see all the notes and I just had to get it out. It is the true fantasy of Elton John. We're talking Rocket Man. You got a catchy name for this one? And it's time for some monster versus monster action in Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew. My name is Michael Campbell. You can call me Cambo if you'd like. And I am joined by a relative new kid on the block, Dan Miranda. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me again. And normally we have Mari McIntyre with us. Unfortunately, she is unwell this week. So we're going to send all of our love to her and endeavour to get her back on the show just as soon as we can. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Lots of love to you. Now, your chance to win a gold-class double pass coming up just a little later on, but first. So how does a fat boy from nowhere get to be a soul man? Gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. Yeah, I know. Well, you can be the best-selling artist in America if you desire. I was trying to do something bold. Why is still something flashy? Can you even play the piano in those? Let them know who you are. And just don't kill yourself with drugs. Few people have had the effect on music and popular culture as Elton John has. And now that Hollywood has counted the receipts from mega blockbuster music biopic Bohemian Rhapsody, it's no wonder another music-centered film was hot on its tail. But the question is, does the life of Elton John or Reginald Dwight make for great cinema? Um, look, for me, uh, Rocket Man is many things. And I'm not sure if one thing stands out above the others, but... I went into it relatively optimistic. I enjoyed the costumes, the the songs, so many songs that I was unaware that Elton John originally had written or okay, co-written. So you're not like a big Elton John fan? Not specifically. However, I admire many of the songs he's written, a lot of his uh, costumes that he's worn throughout the time. He's like synonymous with so much of that sequin feather, you know, culture. Yeah, that real kind of like glam rock. Glam not, rock. Not in a kiss way. No. In like a stadium rock way. It's very, uh, like, even in the movie we see a, sh a short clip of Liberace and I yeah. was just like, there could be one and the same person. One's a pianist, one's a, a rock star. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's a lot of fun and I think the, the staging of the movie itself is very evocative of a musical. And Elton John lends himself to theatricality really well. Definitely. So for me, it comes down to, and I, I, I don't want this to feel like a cop-out, but it's pretty good. Yeah. It, it, like, it met my expectations. It didn't exceed my expectations, but also didn't let me down. It's just pretty good. It is pretty good. Closest parallel you're ever going to find is Bohemian Rhapsody, not only because it's still kind of in the zeitgeist, but when Brian Singer was fired as director from Bohemian Rhapsody, he was replaced by Dexter Fletcher, who directed this movie. So it's got a lot of the Bohemian Rhapsody DNA. And I would say the same faults that Bohemian Rhapsody had, being pretty safe and pretty by the numbers, yeah. Rocketman does have those as well. But I will say uh, Rocketman takes a lot more chances. Uh, in, in cre like Creatively, it takes a lot more chances. And they're the bits of Rocketman that I really like. There's, there's a couple of elements I think it really does well. First of all, unlike Bohemian Rhapsody and even movies like um, Ray and, you know, those kind of uh, generic music biopics, is this is a jukebox musical. 
without a doubt. And I think the way that they get away with it is the framing of the movie is all... It, it's Elton John. It, the movie begins with Elton John in rehab, mm. and he is telling the group his story. And because Elton John is kind of eccentric that way, his story kind of becomes eccentric that way. So it doesn't feel weird when people burst in a song because that's just how he kind of remembers things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like he's playing out his fantasy from what he's already lived by. I think the best musical number in the whole movie is right near the beginning and it's Saturday night, it's all right. Yes. Uh, and it's brilliantly directed, by the way. There's long sweeping shots that don't cut. And you really see all of the people in unison in their choreography. And mm -hmm. it's a great way to represent how much work was put into that. And also you can see like in the cinematography, yeah. how Elton is quite a bright color. Yes. Whereas everyone's faded yeah. into the background. It's his story. You, can we talk a little bit about Taryn's performance of Elton? Oh, yeah. Because I think that... Absolutely. He is far and away, I would say even beyond the musical numbers, I think the reason to see this movie is how good he is. Definitely. He's fantastic. He, he does very well. And I must admit, not to say that his roles in Kingsman or Robin Hood uh, don't suit him, but I, I feel he might have the most fun in these eccentric roles. And I think also what this all ties back into, previously he did a children's, a children's film called Sing, and he sang an Elton John song. Um, and he sings that in this film. And also in the Kingsman sequel, he co-starred with Elton John. So I think these are all like stepping stones in terms of his acting career, which have led him to play Elton himself. Don Perignon, 63, it's a good vintage. Oh no, thanks. It's uh, always important to rely on the kindness of strangers. John Reed. Elton. I know it all seems a bit overwhelming at first, but uh, something makes me think you'll get used to it. In fact, I predict you could be the best-selling artist in America if you desire. I see you like the song, though. Not quite as much as the singer. Now, Bryce Dallas Howard, she plays Elton John's mother. Yes. And she is almost unrecognisable mm. because she's gained a bit of weight for the role. Um, and the accent as well. The accent. <laughs> she's got freckles. She looks nothing like, you know, the red-headed Jurassic World beauty that we know. That's what I find so weird is she's playing the quintessential, uh, almost cliche uh, English mother. Yeah. Uh, but... Her father is the quintessential American boy. <laughs> so it's such a weird juxtaposition and it took me a while to get used to it. And I think even when we first came out, I said to you, I thought it was maybe miscast. I think I've gone back on that a yeah. little bit. I, it was just my own preconceived notion of Bryce Dallas That's Howard. the thing because we want to put her in that, that peg hole where we're like, this is who Bryce is. Yeah. But she's going, uh-uh, I'm this yeah. as well. So yeah, that, I, that's, that's so true. Mm. I had to get out of my own head and let her be an actress, which <laughs> right. she is, She is. <laughs> before I could kind of like calculate it in my head. I also really, really liked Richard Madden, which is to say I didn't like him in the movie because mm. he's kind of a snake, but his performance, he's charming enough that you see why Elton John yes. was drawn to him. He's like the forbidden fruit. Yes, mm. but he's also got this like sinister undertone to him that you never trust him, even from minute nah. one. I think what I noticed that uh, some of the songs that you might think are in the film aren't yeah that's true. and even like musical motifs uh played 
repeatedly through the film but may not be sung. Yeah, that's so, true. So um, I think uh, at the start of the film we have Goodbye Yellow Brick Road mm. played and you, you recognise the melody but you don't know particularly uh-huh. what the song is. But um, I think that they play with your memory a bit in this film and you're yeah. like, mm, the nostalgia comes through a bit. A, a gritty look at his life, it isn't. No. But a fun jukebox musical that's like pure escapism. It certainly is. Definitely. And I think that's what separates a movie like The Social Network, say, where they didn't have the approval of Mark Zuckerberg, and they really look into what makes him tick as a person. Right. And Rocket Man, which was produced by Elton John, not so much. No. But I think that they're two polar opposite biopics, <laughs> and they've just leaned completely into one. Senators, we believe that these titans are just the tip of the iceberg. Which of these titans are here to protect us? And which of these titans are here to threaten us? So you'd want to make Godzilla our pet? No. We would be his. Godzilla first hit our screens in 1954 and has been a staple of Japanese pop culture ever since. And it may be the all-time great movie monster. However, America has not always been kind to the big lizard. His American debut in 1997's Godzilla was so poorly received, the creature in that film actually received the nickname Gino, standing for Godzilla in name only. Well, now it's been rebooted and the question is, Has America learned its lesson? I think that America have potentially learned their lesson. They know how to make a Godzilla film. This is a sequel to the 2014 film. Um, We do have recurring characters. um, And the story does actually grow a lot from the last time we saw Godzilla. Yeah, the 2014 Godzilla is quite self-contained. It is. And this one is expansive. This is universe expansive. And not only is it a sequel to the 2014 Godzilla, it also has the task of somehow weaving in Kong Skull Island from yes. 2016 because there is the inevitable Kong versus, versus Godzilla. Godzilla versus Kong mm. movie coming out in 2020. Right. So it's juggling a lot of things. It really is. And there are hints to that movie coming out. Um, but this one d- actually focuses on uh, the company Monarch, which are in charge of looking after all the monsters or the Titans as they're, the called, titans yeah. as they're known. I think there were 17 in total um, and how they're all in a state of ketosis or um, within cocoons and trying to keep that secret from the general public. Yeah. But the, obviously the monsters start emerging. And that that's, is true. That's the hook of the movie. That is it? the hook I of the movie. I mean, it's king of the monsters. You know you're going to get monster on monster fights. This is monster heaven. If you love the Meg... Or, like you say, Kong Skull Island. Anything with a giant monster, even (laughs) Rampage, you will appreciate this movie. There is so much going on the screen that you'll just be literally on the edge of your seat. I I deliberately haven't asked you what you thought, and I haven't told you what I thought. Mm -hmm. Because I think this movie is going to be divisive. Here's my thing. It's not great. (laughs) This movie, I believe, is very broken. Uh, to the point where I suspect that some of it was reshot because there are some kind of inexplicable plot 
contrivances. That being said, there is an audience for this movie that do not care. I think I'm that audience. Okay, so you yeah. did, what did you think of it? So I went in expecting to see monsters. I got that. <laughs> I got some actors who I admire. I enjoy their work. Um, one of them in particular is uh, Vera Faminga. Yes. From uh, many films like The Conjuring, yep. but I personally fell in love with her in Bates Motel, the TV right. series. <laughs> um, and she's I just, become like a horror monster queen. She really she? is. Like that—that that is her element. Yeah. And I wouldn't say this film is really horror, but it is certainly monster. Well, it's in the title. Um, and so I think uh, basing too much emphasis on story or plot hole. You might be not having a good <laughs> You've time. Missed the point, You've yeah. missed the point. You've lost the plot, <laughs> as they did. No, <laughs> but you definitely will have a good time if you just sit down, mm -hmm. expect to see monsters, um, and not critique it too oh, hard. And don't get me wrong, I had a blast watching this. How movie. could you not? <laughs> it. I put it in the same bracket as like a Fast and Furious, where the definitely. it kind of it knows what it is. Yes, and it doesn't pretend to be anything else. But, <laughs> okay, so for instance, <laughs> let's talk about this. There's a character played by Charles Dance, uh, and he is the, kind of the lead villain in this movie, who is, he wants to awaken all of these titans. Mm. And he's described as an eco-terrorist. That's exactly what I thought. I, th <laughs> I thought, is, Which is the silliest villain kind of title. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> let's make the world better by destroying everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me much like Thanos. Yeah. And it's not the most original, like, villain objective, I no. guess. You know, humans are a disease and we must wipe them out and start again. Yeah. But it serves the purpose to wake up a bunch of monsters that are going to punch up in a city. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's... All the plot has to do, mm. and it does it, it just does it in kind of a muddled way. And I think with the performances from Charles Dunst or even uh, the lead character, Kyle Chandler, yes. who plays Mark Russell, you definitely can empathize with what their motivations are or the reasoning why the hell would we do this? <laughs> Our world is changing. The mass extinction we feared has already begun, and we are the cause. We are the infection. So enough about the human characters. That's not what people are here for. What did you think of the monsters? Because there are a plethora of monsters. There are so many monsters. A mothra of monsters. Oh, I was just going to say mothra. <laughs> she, I think uh, she's a she. She yeah. is a, a beautiful moth-like creature. Mm -hmm. She goes into a cocoon-like state before emerging at some point. And it, it is quite interesting to watch each of them come alive because you don't know their motivation. Yeah. For a lot of the film, and then you're like, oh, do I like this monster? But but for me, I just love the design of each of them. Yeah, And absolutely. like, you know, what they were capable of. And it's interesting to see, when you look back at the original Godzilla movies, because they're quite hokey, mm. and they're people in rubber suits, <laughs> you know, trampling miniature cities and stuff like that. And they've updated them. They still look like the characters have always looked, but they also look real. They look real. And I real. think they've done that, like, the the adaption of hokey guy in a suit to actual creature and still have it instantly recognizable who it is yeah is actually impressive it is because it shouldn't necessarily work 
It shouldn't, but I think it actually does for for this world and for this film because um, I think a lot of the monsters actually have come from a mythology standpoint. Yeah. And so to see uh, one of the main monsters, I think it's called the Hydra, um, it's very evocative of the animated Disney film Hercules. Yeah. There's a three-headed dragon-like creature and just... Well, that's always the mythos of the Hydra, right? Yeah. Cut one head off, two more will take its place. Correct, yes. And that does happen. Yeah. in this film, but <laughs> we should say a lot happens in this film. A lot film. happens like, in this like, film. Like I'm playing it in my head again. I'm like, yeah, like there, there are, there are so many action sequences that it's, it almost, almost to its fault becomes a little numbing towards the end. Yeah, but definitely. There, but maybe that lends itself to rewatchability. I think it does. And because a lot of tense moments happen throughout the film, it's hard to really grasp what is actually happening on yeah. the screen. So it does have rewatchability, I think, because... So, okay, what's happening on the screen is a, is a great segue to talk about cinematography. Yes. Because I both really loved the cinematography and sometimes I really hated the cinematography. Mm. There are shots in it that are so almost beautiful. There's, in fact, there's a sequence in which they are in an underwater base and Godzilla is in the water. Yes. And uh, he has a pulsing blue fin. Fire. We don't know he'll attack. He will if you keep those guns on him. Let him know we're not a threat. Open the shields. And it is kind of like a radar going dun 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 dun. Do it. And as it does, everything lights up and then disappears. And it's actually quite beautiful. Mm, It was. And I remember thinking, that's a really striking image. And there's quite a few of those moments. But then... Certain action sequences, one set in the Antarctic, is so dark and muddled that I had a really hard time knowing what was going on. So it kind of, and maybe that is my reshoot theory coming to fruition, Mm. uh, come to think of it now. (laughs) But some of it is really beautifully shot and there's some really iconic, nice images. And then some of it is so dark and smoky that it's a little hard to actually it see what's going on. It gets lost in that smoky yeah. haziness. Well, uh, I think the the scene you're talking about, about the blue fin thing with yes. Godzilla, is such a good uh, theme of forebodeness or something mm. like that. And a lot of the other stuff does turn into a shamozzle of smoke and mirrors and yeah. rain and so much happening that it you lose those really intense effects. Do you know what I mean? We Even we're split on this, mm. it seems. So who do you think this movie is for? I think this film is for teenagers, yep. <laughs> kids. I think if you want want to see blood and gore, not your film. Yeah. Or actually, there is no blood and gore in this film. That's so true. It yeah, it's, so, it's, yeah. Not, it's not an overly violent movie. No. For, you would have think, you know, big world where all yeah. these monsters are fighting, you would have all this blood and gore happen. None of that happens. It's just a lot of action, a lot of silly monsters fighting <laughs> in the sky. I agree with you. In fact, I think I said the same thing when we talked about Hellboy a few weeks ago. Were I 14 years old, I would have loved this movie. Yes. It would have been my favorite movie because it's insanity. Yeah. But now seeing as many movies as I see just purely through this job, of course, your median range of movies tends to widen and it just, it falls somewhere in there for me. It does. Where it's, I, I had a good time watching it yeah. because I was enjoying the insanity of it, <laughs> but I am well aware that that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good movie, No, but it is a fun movie. Also still in cinemas, Aladdin. Rub that magic lamp and get Will Smith. <laughs> and Brightbird. Evil Superman. 
child. Yeah, creepy Superman kid. Mm. You can hear about all of those movies and everything else that is still in cinemas in our back catalogue, which you can access in whichever podcast app you would like. Now, your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass, simply head to the Village Cinemas Instagram or Facebook page, look for the Cinema Group post and answer the question... What is your favourite Elton John song? Ooh, good question. Uh, now remember to use the hashtag the Cinema Crew, and that prize could be yours. Next week, the second and hopefully better attempt at the famous X-Men storyline in X-Men Dark Phoenix, and a film that started its life as fan fiction, and find out what we mean by that when we talk about after. But until next time, thank you, Dan. Thank you. And my name is Vin Cambo, and we'll see you next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.